Welcome to another Founder to Founder interview from Gun.io, your source for hiring world-class tech talent. Today, Gun.io's CEO and co-founder, Teja Yanamandra, sits down with co-founder and head of growth, Stefan Afram of Wondergraph, a platform that offers full-cycle GraphQL API management. Okay, here's Teja. Where did you grow up? In Miami or elsewhere? So I grew up when I, so I moved um, when I was like two from Serbia to Michigan. I grew up there, became a U.S. citizen until 10. When I was 10, around the fourth to fifth grade transition, I moved to Orlando. And I grew up here and I, and I say like I'm from Orlando because I grew up here and I went to college here as well. So after high school, I got a soccer scholarship and I grew up right there here in Orlando and I went to college in Rollins and I played soccer there. And then I signed for Orlando city on like a small contract, but then I got injured my senior year and that went, you know, out the window. Yeah. So from there I was working at a startup and then they had these huge layoffs during COVID. And so they let everybody go. And then in the middle of COVID, I was like, you know what? Like, uh, I'm kind of tired of Orlando. I want to go somewhere. And Mayor Suarez tweeted, um, to Elon Musk, like, how can I help? And I saw that on Twitter and I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Miami. And so I decided to pick up my stuff and I moved to Miami. That's sick. Wow. Okay. So did you, I mean, did you grow up playing soccer? Like, is that what you wanted to do professionally initially? Yeah. So, I mean, that was like my thing. Like growing up, I was the, the soccer guy. I was Stefan, like all my like essays ever were about soccer. And like my goal was to get a full ride scholarship to college. Because the way you do it in America is you get on a soccer scholarship and then from there you go into the MLS. And so I got a full ride to Rollins, which is like 45 minutes from my house in Orlando. It's a great D2 school. And the reason I went D2 was because um, in D1, if you play professional, you can't play D1. But in D2, you can. So we had all these ex, you know, kids from England that played professional and they also gave me a full ride. So I went there and that was my thing. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And then I got signed for a homegrown contract and then tore my ACL. So that's, that kind of ruined everything. <laughs> Bro, fucking ACLs. I hear you. I Did you get it repaired or are you just riding with it like partially torn? Nah, so um, I don't know. I have the worst luck. Like my senior year, I tore my PCL, which is like super easy like to heal. It's just four months, no activity. But um, it only happens in like 1% of tears. And if it's isolated like mine was, it's super weird. But then... When I signed for Orlando City, I tore my ACL. I had surgery. I recovered. But I decided, you know, I'm going to go into tech. And then a year ago, I did my other ACL playing soccer again. So I was like, you know what? I think it's time to retire from soccer. <laughs> did you get the other one repaired? or that's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got them repaired. And, like, I did the rehab. And, like, you you would never know the difference. You would just see the scars on my knee. But, like, I still bench. And I still um, max squat, like, 350. Like, you know, yeah. I, I'm very, very active. And I do my thing. So it, it doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I've been training that for a few years. Uh, but last year... I tore partially tore my ACL and I didn't get surgery on it because they thought it would work. Like I also like didn't want to get surgery. I was like, I training is like what I love to do. I don't want to not train. If I don't train, I'm going to drink too much and like not be productive in my life. That's like me, you know, cause I get like addicted to physical activities and 
maybe I shouldn't say this on a recorded line, but whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and so I just like kept training because I told the surgeon, I was like, dude, I don't want to not train. He's like, okay, well, that's fine. And then this past July, I re-injured it. I re-tore the same ACL and they were like, you need to get surgery. So I've been avoiding it. Like I'm still like lifting, like, like lateral movements or like in one plane where you're like, I just going up and down deadlift squat. I can do, but lateral movements like cutting, pivoting, wow. you know, that, that sucks. So I have not trained in like three or four months. So we'll see. I'm like still pushing my numbers on squat and deadlift. So I feel like in a year, I'm going to try to go back to jujitsu and see like where it goes, but I don't know. So I, I feel you on the injury. I was never like a pro athlete or anything like that. I'm just obvious, but, uh, ACL suck. They're, they're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But if I were you, I would do the surgery. Like it, the only thing that sucks is the first like week because like, you know, you have to do the machine and uh, you have to like re tear your scar tissue because it scars right away. Yeah. But, but after that, dude, like if you do the PT, like you're back to normal, like nothing ever happened. Really? Okay. That's yeah. cool. I just, I'm lazy, bro. Like I don't want to like <laughs> take off a day of work and then go to like PT, all this stuff every week. But I'd say to like sack up and just do it probably. So yeah, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I did my surgery in the morning and then like I slept, but then I was back in the afternoon because like I could work from my laptop, so I'm still like doing stuff and taking meetings and put like a virtual background. Like my leg is in this machine going back and forth. <laughs> That's baller. I respect that. Okay, well we're we're coming up on holiday season, and so things will probably be a little bit slow, at least on my end. So I'm I'll I'll. I have a surgeon that he's like, you should do this now. So maybe I'll call him and, you know, get that shit repaired. Cause yeah, it sucks not training. It sucks. So are, are you done with soccer permanently? Like you're not going to play anymore? Uh, yeah. So like, I mean, I've been struggling with this. Cause like that used to be like the best fitness. Like I would burn crazy calories and like I had my good squad, my friends. And so now what I've done is um, I switched to paddle. So paddle's really big in Miami. It's like a smaller version of tennis and like racquetball mix. You can hit it off the walls and there's some cool courts. And then I picked up golf. And so with golf, I actually had no idea how hard golf is. Like it's probably one of the technically hardest sports. And so I pick up that and then I run and I weightlift. And that to me is fine. I still don't get that adrenaline that I used to like with soccer. So I might still pick it up. I just have to convince my uh, my fiance to let me because she took care of me both times. And I, she, she, she'll get very upset if I do it a third time. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. There's a, there's a doctor in my academy who tore both of his ACLs and the dude is like a little bit older, but he still trains. He like still yeah. think, you know, so it's important, man. Okay. That's cool. Um, okay. So decided to get into tech. What, what kind of inspired you to get into like, tech was it just it's exciting it's innovative it's something to think sink your teeth into or did you kind of grow up like being nerdy and playing with computers and that sort of thing i like this question because i actually have a very interesting answer to it so like my whole family is in the medical field so my mom has like uh, the biggest pediatric clinic for kids with special disabilities in orlando like she has like 90 employees like she has four offices you know and I have PTs, OTs, and then my uncles and aunts, they're all doctors, like neurology and things like that. And so when I was in high school, I was president of the medical academy and like everything I did was to go towards medicine. And so when I started at Rollins, I, uh, my first semester, I was um, pre-med. And so I was taking bio and chemistry. 
And I was leaving practice one night and um, I stopped at a, I forgot who it was. There was just some engineer there and he was giving a, like a talk in the auditorium. So I stopped by and or whatever. And he was just kind of showing like scenes from like uh, the social network. And he was just showing how like, you know, Steve Jobs and all these people that built, you know, amazing companies that they studied computer science. And then he also put a slide, which was like, this is how much you can make at this company. And then I was looking at it. I was like, wait, like that's how much a doctor can make or like this. And he's like, you can also go and start your own company. And so after I saw that presentation, I was like, yeah, I got to switch. And so I switched and my whole family is like, what is computer science? They're like, why? Like you've never, you know, done with computers. And I was like, well, I like computers. And then I did a little programming class and I really liked it. Like I made a tic-tac-toe game and I was like, okay, this is dope. But then I also liked the collaborativeness of it. And so I switched, I didn't look back and I killed it. So I was doing really well in CS. I graduated and I thought I was going to be a soccer player. And then the injury happened and I started working at this startup. And I said, I got laid off, but like, I actually got fired, but the the story is actually cool. So I was six months into it and um, I was at, um, I forgot what happened. Oh yeah. I got switched into full-time after like six months. I was just like part-time at 30. And when you switch into full-time, you get your 401k. And I did some research on the company and this was the fifth company that these two founders, they're two guys, they started five companies. Four of them were unicorns. So these guys just build and sell amazing companies. They did it in cybersecurity. They did it in risk management. Uh, This current one was cybersecurity. And so um, I emailed the CEO. I looked him up in the directory. There's like, it's still a startup. So it was like a hundred employees. I look him up in the Slack directory and I find his email and I message him like, Hey, like I know your track record. I know like what companies you've built. Instead of doing a 401k, can I do some private stock options? <laughs> and so I asked the CEO this of like a private company. And like, I mean, I didn't think about it because I was like, you know, like, like now when I look back on it, I was like, that's kind of stupid, but like also it's kind of ballsy. And so he emails, yeah, he emails me back and he's had like over five to 10,000 employees. Like at his company, like over the five years, like his last company had 2000 employees. He's like, Hey, Stefan, like, um, good to hear from you. Um, I've started about five companies. I've had over 5,000 employees. Nobody's ever asked me that question. Let's talk at the holiday party. And the holiday party was that evening. And so I go to the holiday party with them and I start talking to him. And um, he's like, listen, um, I took a look at what you do at, my, at our company. Like you're a security analyst. Based on that interaction you sent me, I think you're in the wrong position. Uh, I don't think you should be working at the company anymore. I think you need to go and start your own thing. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, I think you're wasting your time here as a security analyst. And so to motivate you, I'm going to fire you in two weeks. And I was like, whoa, like, why? Well, why is this? And then um, I thought he was joking because like we were both drunk or whatever. But two weeks later, he fired me. And I was like, wait, what? So I went to his office and I was like, why'd you fire me? He's like, I told you, you need to go and you need to start your own thing. Like in tech, it's a genius idea. Like you have something that I see that I saw myself. You need to go and do it. And so then... I mean, that's kind of how I got the bug was because of him. And like, he's still like one of my mentors now. And I still message him when I have questions about Wondergraph and things like that. And every now and then he messages me. He's like, listen, I told you so. Like, you know, like, look where you are now is because I fired you. So it's kind of interesting, kind of cool way, like how the world goes in a circle. That's so fascinating. Because like when you were sharing the story, I'm like, that's kind of like a weird move. You know, but it it, it would strike me as like, this guy is mad that I emailed him and wants to fire me. But actually, like, he was being honest in some ways, like, you should just go start your own thing. So that's super interesting, man. Um, Wow. 
that's kind of cool. I mean, that's it. It's cool. I agree. Like, right. why would you want stock in a public company when you're working at a company you want to invest in that company? Like, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. You're building it. That's how you make your day funny. So why not? I, I like that. That's cool. And right now they're Series D, and I joined like C. So I, I definitely had an eye that this was going to be a big freaking company. And like, if I would have gotten the option, which you didn't smartly, like, it definitely would have been worth a lot of money now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I mean it worked out like for, for did, you, yeah. right? I mean, that's crazy. Did you tell like your friends like that happened? What was like? What did they say? Or were they just like, oh my? I mean, I told my friends, and they didn't believe me. They're like, nah, you just got fired. But then, like, I showed them the email, like, him, like, afterwards. Like, me and him still keep in touch. Like, he's a really nice guy, and, like, um, he wants to be an angel in our Series A. And so he's like, whatever you do next, like, I'd love to support you. And, like, me and him still keep in touch because he has a house in Miami. So whenever he's down, me and him, like, you know, we'll grab coffee. He'll ask me things. And he's kind of, like, a really good mentor of mine. And, like, my mom, right away, she laughed, and she was like, you know what? Like, that's the best thing somebody could have done for you. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's really cool. Um, so, like, okay, did he did he like tell you that you're fired like via email, or did he actually sit you down and was like, "Hey, I told you this is gonna happen." Like, how did that interaction go down? Literally two weeks on the dot from the holiday party. Like, it was after New Year's. I think it was like Jan, like some date, like after in January. And I get a message from my uh, manager, and she's like, "Hey, can you meet me in the conference?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And there's a woman from HR there, and so I'm like already like. Like, this is weird. Yeah. And so then I, you know, go in there and she's like, hey, so um, nothing personal, but we've decided to terminate your position. And I was like, why? She's like, it came from higher ups. Like, if you have a question, feel free to go talk to to uh, Eric, the CEO. And I was like, okay. And so, like, you know, I said bye to them. And they're like, you need to be out today by 3 p.m. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, like, damn, like, I thought we were boys, you know. <laughs> but then I go and talk to the CEO. And he's like, I told you. And I was like, you have all this stuff on your plate and you still remember that. He's like, yeah, because I really believe in you. You need to go. He's like, you have a very nice severance package of two months. Go figure something out. You'll be fine. And then he was like, and also like, sorry about the, like, you know, like you have to be out by three, but like with HR and like companies, like stuff like that, it, you have to stay strict on that and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, whatever. No hard feeling. And we still talk to this day. <laughs> That's so sick, man. Cool. Okay. So two months, did you already have an idea for a company to start? Like, as as this conversation happened or did you spend that two like how did you come up with the idea um how did you use those two months yeah so i didn't uh come up with the idea like so what i did after those two months is like i was like okay let me think of an idea and like after a month i couldn't come up with an idea that i really became passionate about so i was like you know what and then i saw that tweet and i was like i want to move to miami and i found a job at a startup and so i had an uh, experience as an engineer so i joined as employee number five as a software engineer. And this was super good learning because um, I learned everything not to do in a startup. Like every <laughs> single mistake, I had away from the leadership to everything was just a mistake. And so for the first year I worked there and at the time I started um, a marketing agency and I was just running ads for like companies in Miami. And it was pretty cool because like um, one of them was a yachting company. So sometimes they would give me a free yacht. And another one was like a luxury car dealership. And they would give me like a free car every week to drive around. Like so I could drive a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. And so like it was super cool. And like it got my foot into business, which was like learning about payroll because I had two employees at the time. And then I had to learn about taxes and I had to learn about managing QuickBooks and things like that. And it was great. But I realized quickly that it's not a startup because it, the only way it can scale is, is is if I hire more people and like, you know, it's not like software where you can just reach 
so many people. And so I ended up working on it until I joined another job. This time it was a Series B startup and I was still an engineer. But literally the same day that I signed the paper for there, I met my co-founder on this website called uh, Y Combinator Find a Co-Founder. So his name is Jens. He's this brilliant guy from Germany. And he's like, hey, like, um, like I'm really good at tech stuff, but I need someone to do the sales and marketing. I feel like we would be a good fit. And so he sent me over a software to take a look at. And literally, like, I swear this was like a match made in heaven. I had a task at work to connect a bunch of data sources together. I used Wondergraph to do it. And I was done. Like, it was a two-week task. I was done in a day. So then I was like, okay, this has some potential. And I was like, this is something really cool. And so I was like, okay, no problem. Let's try it. I joined. And then within a month and a half, we got a large enterprise customer as our first customer. So then I was like, okay, this is something. But we worked together, me and him, part-time on it. Really, it was still 40 hours for seven months before we got funding. So does he live in Germany or is he in Miami too? Did he move over? No. So him and my other co-founders, we're a team of four. They're all in Germany. And then all of our employees are across the world. We have some in Ukraine, some in Spain, some in um, Portugal, some in India. And then I'm the only one in America. And so it allows us to kind of cover all the time zones. So I can cover Pacific and East. They can cover they can cover Central as well as like our customers in Japan and Australia. Yeah, that's sweet. I mean, Atlassian's a remote uh, yeah. guess, work anywhere company at a fifty billion dollar org. So I believe in and our company's remote. Like I believe in remote first. So um, that's that's sweet. That's awesome, man. Um, do you guys do you guys do like annual retreats? Do you guys get together often? Like, how do you guys handle that? Yeah, so we actually do retreats like every four or five months. And like, we'll mostly do them in Europe because the whole team's there. And so like one month we did Mallorca, which was sick and it was awesome. And then another, we did um, like this mountain in Austria because it was like during the winter. So people were able to go skiing. And then the last one we did was in the Netherlands. Like we got like a farmhouse and like we were all together and it was super fun. And then now we have a conference coming up. So I'm going to go meet with my founders in Germany a little bit. And then I'm going to go to this conference in Paris. Like it's super quick and like, the cost for these things is it's it, it outweighs everything. Like they're super fun. Oh yeah, the cost is like the thousands, maybe up to ten, but the productivity gain and like after you meet and sync and have a couple of drinks together is like exponential. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, that's cool, man. Okay, so tell us about Wondergraph. Um, you know, how's kind of where are you guys at? You know, what's the problem that you guys solve? Um, yeah, because we use MetaBase, and that's where all the data is piped into for like our BI tool. So I'm just curious to hear more about about your company, and maybe we can be a customer. Um, you know? Yeah, possibly. So Wondergraph, um, we have two products. We have Wondergraph SDK and Wondergraph Cosmo. Both of them are open source, and Wondergraph SDK is a framework for creating backend for front ends. It allows developers to easily connect backend sources, connect clients, everything that they need to do using this open source framework. We've recently kind of moved our attention towards Cosmo because Cosmo is a full GraphQL federation platform. So large enterprises, they usually start with a monolith and it just just gets huge. And then they want to break it up into microservices. And the way they do that is they use GraphQL. But now they want to be able to allow different people to work on different things at the same time and to merge things at the same time all between these microservices. And GraphQL is great for that. But federation is even better for that. So GraphQL federation. And so... We offer a full open source federation platform. So with schema checks, schema um, governance, schema contracts, schema composition, 
it just allows teams to really utilize GraphQL. And so we've shifted our focus towards there and it's still an open source product. It's fully self-hostable, which is huge for enterprises. And I mean, we launched it like six months ago. And the reason we launched it was because people kept always coming up to us and they're like, hey, are you an alternative to Apollo? We're like, no, not really. And like after like 50, 60 calls of people asking that, we're like, okay, maybe we should put our attention towards here. And so we did. And the things have been going a lot, a lot, a lot smoother. <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. Um, so who like, do you guys have like a sector focus or are you guys kind of enabling every kind of like style of enterprise company um, to have, um, you know, this solution? Yeah. So we have um, all sorts of industries. So like we're, we have a lot of NDAs though, because enterprises, like I was joking about this the other day, we were talking to a huge enterprise and I was like, listen, like I'm 26. I have way too much procurement experience. Like I wish I didn't have this much experience. Like I know exactly how enterprises operate. I know exactly what kind of red tape I need to get through. I know exactly which NDAs I have to sign. And so we have NDAs with like, for example, one of the biggest crypto companies in the world, they use Cosmo. And then one of the biggest companies in the world for transportation uses uh, Cosmo. And then we have like one of the smallest travel companies that's doing ridiculous in revenue, but they're a very tiny company. They also use Cosmos. So we, we spread across all industries from travel to crypto to transportation to, you know, applications like Airbnb or things like that. So there's not really like a focus into them, but all sorts of customers can use them, especially enterprise customers. That's cool. And I mean, if we're getting into like, like proprietary company strategy, like obviously feel free to be like, you can't disclose that. But it's like, so if you guys have an open source model, are do you guys, how do you guys like grow the accounts generally? Like, is it implementation, things like that? I talk a lot about this because like when you have an open source product, it's amazing. It, for adoption, it's fantastic. And our license yep. allows us to be so easily adopted by enterprises. But the thing is, is some stuff needs to be put behind a different license or a restriction. Because if you make the full thing open source, it's really hard to monetize it. There's different ways like creating a cloud platform or things like that. So the way we monetize is um, the full solution is open source. Some features only that enterprises would use, like nobody else but an enterprise would use this, are behind a wall. And that comes with the same open source license, but you get access to that one. So it's kind of an open core model. So the core of, this, of the offering is open source, but some of the stuff that you would need is behind a different model. And that's only because we need a way to make money. You know, if we open source everything, there's not a way that we can make money. The second is we provide a hosted solution. And so this is great for like small to medium-sized companies. You know, we offer a generous tier, like 10 million requests per month for free. Yep. And then after that, $10 per 1 million. So you could do 500 million and you're still paying a small amount. And that's the second one. So that one's a managed solution. And then the third one is with these large enterprises, they need support. And so sometimes they decide to host the entire thing themselves. They use the full open source offering of Wondergraph, but we create a contract between each other for support. And so they pay, a, a, depending on which tier of support they choose, you know, they get a Slack connect, they get response time on bugs or anything like that. So those are the kind of the three models that we go with. But that's awesome. monetizing open source is really, really tricky. It's tricky, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, that's good. Like that's like a moat, you know, it's a competitive advantage because if it's hard, it's hard to replicate, you know? So, um, that's awesome. Uh, okay, cool. So like you would be pumped if like devs 
in the platform when they listen to this interview, like implement Wondergraph and what they're doing for clients. And if uh, like that's something that drives adoption, even if it doesn't directly contribute to revenue, it at least like increases platform adoption and usage and, you know, um, network effects. So yeah, cool. exactly. Like if they can just try it out and they use it or they can use it for small projects or even if they use it like our large enterprises, like we have this huge enterprise, like one of the biggest healthcare companies and they're using um, Cosmo, the entire open source uh, version. And that to them is perfect. It solves all their needs. And they migrated away from a different solution that was costing them like 400000 a year. So it doesn't make us mad because they're still using Cosmo. Eventually, they might run into some issues or things like this. So we'll be able to monetize. But the fact is, they were able to reduce a $400,000 bill and use a better solution. Yeah. It's like there's no limit to the scale. Uh, so how... How has the journey been in terms of building the business? Like you guys are series A or seed, like where are you guys at in the company building trajectory? Yeah, so we raised our funding almost about a year ago and we're very lean. So we have, you know, extended runway, totally doing fine. And right now we're climbing towards the uh, 1 million or 1.5 million ARR mark. And so the reason we're doing that is before, we had all the great numbers for adoption. Like we had the GitHub stars, we had everything. But uh, 2023, you know, a lot of layoffs, investment money rolled up. And so our strategy right now is just get profitable yep. and get these really big customers on board, show a repeatable sales cycle. And then when we get to like three or four million ARR, like that's a really strong Series A. And from there, we want to raise a really strong Series A and then just use all that fuel to just expedite this. And we have a big competitor that we've been kind of chipping at. But now we've been really taking some large names from them. And so for us, we want to ex- ex- you know, expand on that. Our strategy isn't to take all their customers. Eventually, our strategy is always what has been from the beginning is to create the GitHub for APIs. But this strategy allows us to get profitable and it allows us to get customers and it allows us to build that vision of the GitHub for APIs. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we bootstrapped the company to a couple million in, in revenue. And that's the way to do it, I think. And then we ended up taking like a small Series A, actually from a fund out in Tampa. So when you guys are ready, Ooh. maybe something that, you know, we would be happy to facilitate and introduce. They're really cool guys. Um, Let's do again. it. Um, so cool. That's awesome, man. And that's super exciting. I mean, basically zero to one to one and a half million in ARR in like what, like 12, 18 months. It's insane. That's really cool. Um, Sweet, we're, we're not there yet. That's the goal where we want to go, though. So we're slowly climbing to that goal. But with these large enterprises, like, just give us till March, April, and I think we'll be there. Dude, that's sick. That's so crazy. That's exciting. What's some advice you would give to maybe another engineer or, you know, a younger version of yourself, somebody working at a tech company who's thinking about, you know, starting their own business? Like, so with me, like with advice, like what I learned the hard way is like, you know, like we, we met some amazing people here and with like starting this company. And like, I met so many founders and like the biggest thing I learned is that every company is so different. So what advice worked for them probably won't work for you. And so the only thing, and it's so weird, like you ever talk to a successful founder and like, they all say the same thing. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. And then, and then you're like, if you haven't started a company, you're like, well, how the hell do I just do it? Like, I don't know where to start. And then they'll be like, oh, you just got to start. And it's like, what does that mean? And so the answer to that question is to just increase your size of luck, like your surface area of luck. And how do you do that? You go and you sign up for Y Combinator, find a co-founder, because this will let you find 
a co-founder or you go into meetups around your city and you try to find people that are like-minded, you know, that want to start a company or you reach out to the people that were in your school. So this increases your surface area for luck. Next, you start reading, you know, blog posts by Paul Graham or what YC is doing or things like that. And then you also start looking into what problems you see around that you would solve, but you would solve passionately because Nine times out of 10, a lot of founders quit because they're just simply not passionate about it. But the one out of 10 that succeed is because they're super passionate about it. And I mean, that's the most important thing is that this is a problem that keeps you up at night. You really want to solve it. And I have a friend right now. He is a lawyer, like one of the top firms in Miami. Like the guy makes crazy money, but he has this like weird itch that he wants to start his own company. And I told him literally the same thing. And uh, like six months ago, I told him literally the same thing. And he literally jumped, like he was making crazy money at this company. He literally jumped, started a startup, and then he raised a million seed round. And like now he's fully into it, fully passionate. And it's like, you don't really have to know what you're doing. You just have to kind of start and just try. And if you hang around the right people and you hang around the right places, some weird thing with luck will happen and you'll meet your co-founder like through the internet or you'll meet him at a bar or you know him from high school. Like you, you mentioned Atlassian. The Atlassian guys I uh, went to college together, but they weren't really friends. And then one of them wrote an email to like um, the class of whatever. And it was like, hi, before you guys go out and join corporate America, does anyone want to start a startup with me? And he sent it over to like 950 people and only one guy replied, which was his founder. That's true. That's yeah, yeah. That they, they, they went to the same school and like they did group projects together, but like they weren't like boys. And then he literally like went and worked for a startup. One of them, I forgot which. And then he just, you know, took the email chain. He's like, who wants to start a startup with me before you go over to corporate America? And like one guy answered and now it's the last thing. That's so baller. What? That's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy too that like, I mean, it's, it's almost like you kind of get married for like a really like, but you have like an objective, right? And just to be like, all right, like we're like married now and like, we're going to build a business. You just have to work out all the vision differences, values differences, you're spot on with that. Like you basically become married to your co-founder. And like another thing about the Alaskan guys, um, whenever they couldn't come to an agreement, the last resort was rock, paper, scissors. And so they would try <laughs> everything that they could to solve it before they get to rock, paper, scissors, because then it's just luck. <laughs> I kind of want to implement that. That's amazing. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was amazing. Um, anything that you want to share about, um, Wondergraph in terms of things that are ahead for you guys? Yeah, I mean, so if, if you're working with GraphQL and you're working with Federation and you're working with different tools like that, you should definitely take a look at Wondergraph. I mean, it's a fully open source offering. It's loved by the developer community. We have an amazing Discord community with over like a thousand members. We don't have a name for them yet. I always joke around that they're like Wonder Warriors, but it, it could be whatever. And um, yeah, I would just recommend try it out. And if you build something with it, you know, let me know on LinkedIn or Twitter. And then from there, I mean, the best thing is just to try it out, read the docs, and then I can always link those to you and you can just pass them on. Where can people find you on LinkedIn and Twitter? So I've become a troll on LinkedIn. I, I like messing around on there. <laughs> so like, uh, but find me on on Twitter at Stefan, at Stefan TMD. And uh, that that's, I'm, I'm more on Twitter now because uh, LinkedIn's gotten a little bit crazy. Now it's just like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like it, it's gotten a little bit too political and too serious and nobody has a little bit of fun in there. So I would say Twitter, go for Twitter. <laughs> do you, do you remember the posts? I mean, I'm still, they still happen. I'm sure they still happen, but it's like, yeah, my LinkedIn feed is basically like people commenting about like, I don't know, global events, you know, like that's my LinkedIn. It's like, okay. But there used to people be like, like I found this dog 
the dog was oh, like you know what i mean and then yeah. like i saved the dog and the dog ended up being the company ceo that i like <laughs> no it's spot on like it's so weird like people will post a picture like you know like holding their baby and working and they're like the grind never stops and it's like dude like, relax <laughs> like you don't have to post it like it's fine like go put your baby to sleep and then work but like you're not gonna get points for holding it while you do work i don't even think that's healthy oh my god that's so cringe but it's funny <laughs> okay I agree, uh, I agree. So do you do I, i'm gonna follow you on linkedin because if you're trolling on linkedin i i, I feel like it'd be pretty funny like um, yeah, you definitely. Should. Have you ever seen uh, analyze this or analyze that? Yeah. Yes. You know, you, you know the car salesman scene, like where like he's like, "You've been busting my balls." Like you know, he asks me all these questions, and he just like rips into them. I posted yes. today, like um, how I feel after five explorator ex, uh, exploration calls with the prospect, and like <laughs> these people were like, "You can't talk to prospects like that. How can you do that? That's so rude." And it's like obviously I'm trolling, but like I can't believe you think that's serious. Like I, I post stuff like that. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. That's that's awesome. I mean, Taylor posts like him like lifting weights on our on LinkedIn. So I feel like you know that's like I think it's unique to post shit that is not really seen on LinkedIn often. Like that's what LinkedIn needs more of versus basically people just marketing to other people. Like that's what LinkedIn usually is used for, you know. So sadly, yeah, it's literally just become like a sales platform. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. Okay, well, I will, I will follow you on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I encourage everybody in the community to do the same and um, check out Wondergraph. You're listening to the Founder to Founder podcast, powered by Gun.io's Frontier Network. We release a new episode every Thursday morning, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you stream your music. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. You can follow us online at The Frontier Pod or drop us a line at team at gun.io to get in touch about hiring world-class tech talent. Thanks for listening to the Frontier podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.